This is Construction Business Mastery, episode number 14. In the fast-paced, high-tech world of construction today, 80% of the new start construction companies go broke or out of business within the first year. In five years, only 2% of the construction companies remain. Construction Business Mastery is dedicated to providing educational information and resources necessary for construction companies to succeed and prosper. Hello, this is Glenn Wilson, and I will be your host for this episode of the Construction Business Mastery Alliance podcast. This is our 14th podcast in a series of podcasts that are dedicated to assisting independent and medium-sized contractors succeed and prosper in the construction industry. In our future segment, we're going to be looking at some statistics on the economic condition of the construction industry in our country, as well as looking at circumstances where a small, newly formed tile contractor got himself in trouble for not properly documenting his construction process. In the legal session, we're going to be looking at a case involving Proper notification for change orders. Knowing your contract requirements is very important in this tough economic time. In this month's safety section, we're going to be looking at some of the risk in working outside in the summer heat and things that we can do to prevent injury to our workers in these conditions. In the quick tips and bonuses section of this month's podcast, We are offering a very special offer to the first 10 members to sign up for the Construction Business Mastery Alliance. You won't want to miss out on this exclusive once-in-a-lifetime offer. And now for the feature segment of the Construction Business Mastery Alliance podcast. First thing, let me apologize for being absent for so long. This is the first podcast that I've produced in about two and a half months. Demands on our own construction business and technical difficulties with the podcast prevented me from being able to get this podcast out. But I think we've got most of that behind us, and hopefully we'll be able to get these out again on a very regular basis. The last couple of months have been very interesting, and we have seen some gains in the construction marketplace. We've picked up several projects and completed some. Our personal experience is supported by information that I just read with the U.S. Census Bureau, which just published the findings for the month of August with construction at an annual adjusted rate at $799.1 billion dollars. This is up from the $788.3 billion that they had projected in the month of July. There were gains in both the private and public construction sectors. During the first eight months of the year, the annual construction spending amounted to $511.4 billion, which is 3% below the $527.3 billion that it was at this same period in 2010. So even though we're seeing some improvement in our current situation, we're still not where we were at the same time last year. So there is work out there, and we just have to know where it is and how to go about getting it 
and completing it. I want to relay a story that I heard this past month. It's one about a contractor who had just gone into business for himself as a subcontractor in a bad situation that he got himself into. This particular contractor was a tile contractor who had a contract to install ceramic tile on some existing walls in a hospital. The project scope just called to have the ceramic tile installed over the existing concrete block. During a pre-construction meeting with the general contractor, he expressed concern that the tile would not look good directly over the concrete block and that he felt that the wall should be skim-coated first to provide for a quality end product. The contractor did not want to pay the additional cost for skim-coating the wall and instructed the contractor to go ahead and install the tile, and the contractor said that he'd do the best he could with the situation. Once the work was completed, the government inspector came through and rejected the tile contractor's work. The contractor was required to remove the tile from the wall and redo it. When he approached the general contractor for additional compensation for the work, the request was rejected. The general contractor told him, that he had said he could provide a quality product, and that if he didn't redo the work, he would not be paid. When the subcontractor reminded the general contractor that they had met and that he had told him the wall needed to be skimmed and that the general contractor did not want to pay the additional expense, the general contractor replied that he had never said anything like that. The tile subcontractor asked us what he should have done. Well, it's back to the same mantra that I've said all along and continue to preach over and over and over again. If it didn't happen in writing, it didn't happen. If the tiled subcontractor had properly documented the sequence of events surrounding the existing wall issue, he would have been able to support his claim for additional monies without question. So the proper sequence of events should have been the first thing, should have been a request for information submitted to the general contractor in writing requesting direction on what to do with the existing substrate of the block wall. This should have generated the meeting where they would have reviewed the situation and the contractor would have claimed that it did not want to pay for the additional expense, which then should have been documented with a set of meeting minutes. And then, in addition... The entire situation should have been documented in the most important document that can be produced on a construction project, the daily report. If all of this documentation had been properly produced in writing, it could be presented to the government's contract manager or someone else higher up in authority to the tile subcontractor's request for additional compensation. Without the documentation, It's just a good old he-said-she-said situation. I have seen too many cases like this over the years where things were not properly documented and you're back to that same old situation. So there's no excuse for not providing good project documentation.
And now for the legal segment of the Construction Business Mastery Alliance podcast. The legal segment is taken from the Construction Claims Advisor with express permission from WPL Publishing. In these tough economic times, it is even more onerous on us to fully understand the terms and conditions of our contracts and understand the notice provisions that are contained therein. Not doing so can be a very costly experience. The following legal ruling is just such an example. The Utah Supreme Court has ruled that a public owner did not breach a contract by issuing a directive that altered the specifications. The change clause allowed the owner to do this. The contractor lost the right to additional compensation by failing to give notice within five calendar days of the occurrence. A little bit of background. The Utah Department of Transportation awarded a contract to Meadow Valley Contractors for reconstruction of a portion of Interstate 215. Meadow Valley subcontracted the paving work to Southwest Asphalt Paving. The agreement included a change to the contract clause. If Meadow Valley believed any directive involved a change in the work, Meadow Valley was instructed to stop work and notify Utah Department of Transportation Project Engineer of the alleged change in writing within five days of the date the change or action was noted, failure to provide required notice constitutes a waiver of any and all claims that may arise as a result of the alleged change. During a pre-construction meeting, UDOT's project engineer, Brandon Squire, informed MVC and Southwest Asphalt that ribbon paving would not be allowed on the project. The contract specifications prohibited more than two-inch vertical grade separation between travel lanes. Long, continuous runs of asphalt would violate this prohibition. The contractor would have to use the less effective block paving method, which would require more shutdowns and startup of the asphalt plant. Southwest Asphalt told Squire it could perform ribbon paving and still comply with a 2-inch vertical grade limit by using a 5-to-1 or flatter taper on the vertical edges between the travel lanes. Southwest said it did this on a regular basis. Squire rejected this suggestion. After work started, MVC and Southwest Asphalt repeatedly complained about the inefficiencies of block paving. Project engineer Squire consistently said ribbon paving was prohibited by the specifications. MVC later sponsored a claim on behalf of Southwest and filed suit. A trial judge ruled that the Utah Department of Transportation breached the contract when it prohibited ribbon paving, a position not supported by the language of the specifications, and MVC was not required to provide written notice of claim because UDOT was well aware of the cost impact 
of insisting on block paving. UDOT appealed this ruling. The Supreme Court of Utah agreed that the specifications did not prohibit ribbon paving. The project engineer's assistance to the contrary altered the specs. This was not a breach of contract, however, as the contract permitted UDOT to alter the scope of work for the I-215 project. The court went on to rule that MVC waived the right to additional compensation for the change by failing to give timely written notice. Because Mr. Squire consistently told MVC and Southwest that the contract did not permit ribbon paving, the ribbon paving directive was an alleged change, subject to Section 1.7, Changes to the Contract. Section 1.7 explicitly provided that failure to provide required notice constitutes a waiver of any and all claims that may arise as a result of the alleged change. The court said that although the project engineer had actual knowledge of the ribbon paving prohibition, UDT could still enforce the notice requirement against MVC. The UDT Board of Review had ultimate authority to resolve the dispute. Without formal written notice from the contractor, that process could not commence. In conclusion, a concurring opinion from one of the other justices agreed that the prime contractor should be denied recovery, but for a different reason. The claim sponsorship agreement between the prime and the sub held prime harmless to the sub. Consequently, the prime contractor suffered no damages and should not be allowed to sue. This is really a pretty tough decision in light of all the facts of the case. However, it does show that the actual terms and conditions of the contract will take precedence over any oral or understandings made at the job site. A simple rule here should apply if you think there is a violation to the contract documents in which a change is required, give written notice. And now it's time for the safety segment of the Construction Business Mastery Alliance podcast. Summer heat and sunshine can produce some very unexpected and hidden dangers for our construction workers. The two most common are sunburn and heat stroke or heat exhaustion. While sunburn really doesn't sound all that bad, exposure to the ultraviolet rays of the sun are believed to cause 90% of all skin cancer. The number of skin cancer has dramatically risen, especially in the last two to three decades. It is now estimated that one in five Americans will contract some type of skin cancer caused by the sun's exposure. It is important that we train our field crews on identifying the signs of heat exhaustion and heat stroke and to stay alert to these signs both individually and the rest of their co-workers. 
Heat stroke is caused by the cooling system of a person's body, which is controlled by the brain, to stop working. And the internal body temperature rises to a point where brain damage or damage to other internal organs may result. Heat stroke can be fatal. Here are a few warning signs of heat exhaustion and heat stroke. Heat exhaustion, often pale with cool, moist skin, sweating profusely, muscle cramps or pains, feeling faint or dizzy, may complain of headache, weakness, thirst, or nausea, core temperature elevated, usually more than 100 degrees Fahrenheit, and the pulse rate is increased. Symptoms of heat stroke, unconsciousness, or has marketably abnormal mental status, dizziness, confusion, hallucinations, or coma, flushed, hot, and dry skin, may have slightly elevated blood pressure at first and then it falls later, may be hyperventilating, has a body core temperature of 105 degrees or more. If a person is displaying the symptoms of heat stroke, it is important that you call 911 immediately. This is a life-threatening emergency. Here are some things that you can do to help prevent exposure to the sun and heat. Wear a wide-brimmed hat of at least 4 inches or more. This will provide shade to your nose and neck and shoulders. If you are in a situation where you must wear a hard hat, Put a handkerchief or cloth under the hard hat to drape down over your shoulders, and the brim will still protect or provide some protection for your nose. Wear tightly woven, loose-fitting clothing that covers as much of the body as possible. There are a lot of sportwear manufacturers, such as Columbia, that offer super lightweight shirts and pants, including cargo style, with strong UV protection built into the fabric. This clothing is designed specifically to let you sweat in the hot sun without getting your skin roasted. Find shade, either trees or physical structures, to shield yourself, especially from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. when possible. Take breaks in the shade often to help prevent heat exhaustion. If possible, build a canopy over the work area to provide shade. Use safety sunglasses that include a warranty stating that they provide 100% UVA or UVB broad spectrum protection. Liberally apply sunscreen to expose skin 30 minutes before venturing outdoors. Stay hydrated, drink lots of fluids, but stay away from sugary sodas and sports drinks. They will provide a sugar rush or high to your system, but only for a short while. And then they drop you hard and you crash. These drinks will tend to pull more water from your body to digest all the sucrose. And I would recommend the following sun-safe formula. Adequate sun ray coverage, good self-pacing, use the buddy system, and stay well hydrated. These are simple things, but they work. And you will be able, and your crews will be able, to work healthier, longer, and more efficiently and profitably.
And now it's time for the quick tips and bonus section of the Construction Business Mastery Alliance podcast. As I mentioned earlier in this podcast, and as I'm sure some of you have noticed, we were not able to launch the Construction Business Mastery Alliance membership in the month of July. This was due to one of the primary programs that you would receive as a member of the Construction Business Mastery Alliance, the Contract Manager. This was proprietary software we had written specifically for our members, and truthfully we found some major bugs in it that had to be worked out. The good news is it's worked out and now working. I have decided to offer a very special bonus to the first 10 individuals that sign up for membership. The bonus will include 50% off of the regular monthly membership cost for life and access to me personally for one year as a mentor to you and your construction company. I am very excited to take this challenge on to help pass on the knowledge and experience that I have to 10 construction companies that are trying to make it in today's environment. But not everything is free in that offer. I do require that each of these 10 go through the Construction 101 assessment and have also gone through the seven C's of a successful contractor before we start. So I recommend that if you're interested in this, that you go ahead to the Construction Business Mastery Alliance website that's now up. Click on the site tour to see all the advantages and benefits that you will receive as a member and then sign up for membership. You really won't want to miss out on this once-in-a-lifetime offer. Again, I'd like to encourage everyone that listens to this podcast to go to iTunes and rate the podcast and write a review so that others can know that what we have to say in the podcast is important and they're able to find it. We all have to work together in this tough time and tough economy to succeed together and have an alliance of strong contractors in this country. If you haven't taken the Construction 101 assessment that you can also find at the website, I strongly recommend that you do this. It's very informative. And I suggest that if you haven't done it also, log on and sign up for the 7 C's of a Successful Contractor at www.cmstrends.com. All of this is absolutely free. And remember, in these tough economic times, don't hope that you will succeed. Plan for success. 